Hello again, everybody. We're back. And we have a special guest, which we haven't done in a couple weeks because Mike's a slacker and has not booked interviews, and that's my fault. But anyways. What's the name of the show? What is the name of the show? <laughs> All right. It, I was getting to that. I wasn't just going to leave Sorry that out. Sorry to jump the gun. No I, was just, I, had, I had massive shame and guilt about not having more guests, so... Uh, but I'm excited about apparently, our guests apparently. today, so that's that's a good thing. We'll we'll redeem Mike's failures with with having somebody interesting on. But I am Mike, and I'm Brian, and we're the hashtag Adulting and Other Bad Ideas podcast. podcast. Never gets old. No, it doesn't. Uh, so today we have a very special guest. She reached out to me actually, which I was very grateful for because I had a chance to talk to her. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and just kind of feel out what we were going to do and get to know her a little bit. Uh, and I'm, I'm super excited to, to have her on the show. Uh, her name is Tess Brigham. She is a, a licensed, uh, well, actually, yeah, no, a licensed psychotherapist and certified coach. I always said certified psychotherapist and licensed coach, which I guess could work as well. But maybe. Um, licensed in California. Before we even get anything, I just want to make sure that everybody knows, don't go to her for therapy unless you live in California. There you go. Um, that, that's not what this is about, but she's gonna, she's gonna chat with us today. So hi, Tess. Hello. How are you? I'm good. That was a lot of, um, I, so now I have to be interesting. <laughs> God, that's a lot of pressure. Well yeah. well, yeah. Yeah. We don't have boring people on oh, the show. I have so. to be interesting the whole time. Okay. I mean, you can, you can give us like a dissertation on, like psychotherapy or I don't know. Oh, no, I no, feel, don't. I won't do that. I feel like I've had enough therapy that I'll be able to tell if you're good or not. So no, no, no pressure. Yep, that's true. That was honestly. So, so <laughs> when, okay. when we, it was funny, cause when we talked, um, on, on the phone a couple of weeks ago, that was actually my, like exactly where my brain went. Cause, cause both Brian and I are, are no, uh, we're not noobs when it comes to therapy or, counseling of any type dealing with mental health issues since 2000, <laughs> since 2000. or below or before since, that since our entire lives yeah um and so it was interesting because when we got on the phone that was actually one of the things that i was curious about was just hearing how how you held yourself and how you talked um and if you remember from that conversation if i start rambling a lot that's usually a good sign because i literally started to feel like i was in like a therapy session as we were talking about certain things oh here we go <laughs> and I, was, I was like oh you should probably stop and let her say things now like <laughs> stop dumping all of your problems and your backstory like this isn't the intro session <laughs> um but i i think that that you'll you'll be on board as well well yeah why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, background Tess? yeah i gave you the brief sure. stuff I mean, I, in terms of my um, experience, yeah, I am, I am a licensed therapist and I'm a life coach, and I, I, um, I had a whole other career before I did this. I used to work in Hollywood, and um, and I left all that, and I realized the one thing I liked about my job when I worked with actors was I liked talking to actors and solving their problems, and so I had never taken a psychology class before. And so I took a psychology class and I loved it. And so I went back and I got a master's degree in counseling psychology and I became, it takes a long time to get licensed. It's a long process. So I became a licensed therapist. And what happened was that I, st when I started practicing, I, you know, along the way when I was training, I, people kept kind of like supervisors kept slapping my hand saying, well, you're problem solving, you're getting too involved. You know, you're a blank slate. <laughs> yeah. Stop, stop, you know, stop being a person. And I just, I, I, all the clients that came to me, I felt like, well, they, they want my, they want to know what to, you know, they want my advice. They want me to reflect back to them what I'm seeing mm -hmm. and, and they do want some help and they want direction and they want guidance and they want homework and they want things to do. And so that's when I started studying coaching and sort of what's the difference between coaching and therapy and, and how can I, you know, merge the two. And so in my practice in San Francisco, um, I merged the two and used sort of the best of both worlds. But, and then I also coach people both as, you know, a business coach, executive coach, and as a life coach. And, you know, I think that no matter, even when you're talking to these big time executives that are, you know, heads of company, it, it always comes down to, 
you know, how you feel about things, <laughs> you know, how you, how you approach, you know, how you think about things, how you approach things and so on. And your parents. So yeah, and it comes down to your mother and I'm a mother myself. So. <laughs> That's right. You have a son, correct? Yeah, I have a, a he's almost 11 and you know they say that the kids of therapists are supposed to be the most screwed up mm-hmm. oh that's so, <laughs> that's and so i am just you know just trying to make money for his therapy bills and <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, all the different ways but no i i but i i do i and now that i'm a parent i can see all the ways in which you screw up your kids <laughs> It, because it, it is. It's hard. It's hard to be. A, it's really hard to be a parent. Well, uh, I, I know yeah. that the therapy that I've done to talk about how bad my parents screwed me up, and then I realized that I'm like, oh wait, I'm doing the same things to my kids. This is way harder than I I thought this yeah. was. You know, <laughs> right? like oh crap. So it's not as easy. You can't really get around that. That's just going to happen. So it is no. what it is. Especially the well, first one. It's trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that. So you guys. Um, I felt. Like the minute I became a parent, I started to really understand my own parents. Yep. yep. It helps you kind of get things to a different level in your life once you become a parent. Because now you can see like, oh, okay, that's uh-huh. why you were so stressed out. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. And you have humanity for them that I think you don't have until it happens, <laughs> until it happens to you. It's, it's honestly, for me, it's been a really conflicting thing because uh, I don't know how much of the podcast you've listened to, but... Um, my family background, I haven't talked to my, uh, immediate family, my mom, my dad, and my two sisters for like 12 years now, um, based off of a whole bunch of, of different things. So it's been frustrating, uh, because I, I have a five-year-old and so having that connection, cause I agree with you, you do start seeing things from like, Oh, this, okay. I get where they're, con- I understand this now. And so, but it's conflicting cause I'm like, I want to reach out and like talk to them about that and be like, I get it guys. Like now I'm a parent and I see this and I can't do that. (laughs) And so then Mm -hmm. that just makes me irritated. So it's, it's, it's been a very weird, like polarizing issue for me (laughs) having a child. Um, But I mean, it's really true. Like you do start to gain an appreciation for how your parents were raising you and the things that, you know, as like a 17 year old kid, I was super irritated about have now become a situation where whether it's just in my adult life or being a parent, um, you know, you start to see the the value and the wisdom and uh, as to what they were telling you or what they were mm-hmm. trying to get across to you. We were just too young and stubborn to actually follow it at the time. <laughs> yeah. And that's unfortunately the, that's something that sort of question I wrestle with this all the time when I work with my clients, because I primarily work with young adults is that, you know, how much of the stuff that I'm saying, you know, is stuff that you just have to go through on your own to sort of live through and and get through and how much stuff can you, how much can you take in and circumvent and change and do things differently, right? Because we all wish we could go back in time and do things right. oh, yeah. <laughs> over again. I wish I had the wisdom so that I have now in my 20s. I wish I had it. And that's what I'm imparting on my clients. But, you know, again, they just haven't gone through it. So why why did you make uh, or how did you end up working with millennials specifically? I, I know that Mike mentioned that, that that's kind of your, your background. Yeah. How, how did that happen? Or did you choose to do that? Or did you just kind of fall into it? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, um, I originally was going to work with teenage girls and their parents, um, because I really liked working with sort of older teens and, um, but I, I started a, I opened an office in San Francisco and, you know, just sort of put some stuff up on psychology today and didn't think anything of it. And all of a sudden young 20 somethings, you know, 25, 26 started showing up and, First, I had heard about these, you know, bad millennials. I had been hearing about this for a while, and suddenly all these young adults started showing up, and I was like, "They're not bad people. Like, what are you, what are you talking about?" You know, and so that's when I started researching them and and trying to understand the millennial generation versus my generation versus the baby boomers and and why there's all these preconceived notions and and so they just kind of they found me, but I became really fascinated by it. And I saw that there was this need for someone to so specifically work with this, this age range, because it is such a unique 
time of your life where you're out of your parents' house, you're, you're on your own for the first time, you're paying rent, you're doing all this stuff, and you're trying to figure out, you're trying to make all these big life choices, like what career am I going to have? Am I going to get married? Who am I going to marry? Um, if I decide to get married, where am I going to live? How am I going to live my life? And, um, and you're doing it all in this radically different world that we live in today. And that's, that's what I found was that I could relate to a lot of the people that were a lot of the people that are coming in because I was in San Francisco in my twenties, but it was a long time ago. And I was like, Oh geez, this is, this is rough. It's really hard to, it's really hard to feel good about yourself and feel like, okay, I'm on the right path or I feel great about what's going on when you have this little thing, this device in your hand all day long, that's constantly showing you how all your friends have better lives and right. are living so much better than you. Uh, my world was when I was in my twenties was just the people I could see yep, yep. around me. And I, they were all struggling too. <laughs> right. And celebrities, <laughs> the celebrities felt very far apart. Right. So yeah, yeah. when I looked around at all the other 20 somethings, I was like, Oh, we're all a mess. So I, I didn't feel less than, or I didn't feel like, Oh, I'm upset. I'm not in Bali or I'm not at this fabulous restaurant or sure. I didn't even know you were there. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Tess, can I, you know, and I, I'm right on the, the verge between, um, generation x and and millennials like uh -huh. we're called the the zennial generation or the the oregon trail generation the last generation <laughs> to to have an i love that term because it's like only a very sub subset of people get it but i, I love that people are like oregon trail what and i'm like huh, you've died of dysentery but um so uh, can i hold you accountable for like all the problems that that, that we have because i i, I want to voice some concerns right now okay so so here's my issue is that when i was growing up um you know in the the 80s and the 90s or whatever they constantly were telling us that we were so special and that we you know we could do anything that we wanted to and then i became an adult and i feel like the whole bottom of the game just dropped out <laughs> and it was like everything got like a billion times more expensive and like everything that I had been taught growing up like I felt like I had been lied to about yep. and it was just this this huge betrayal of like everything all everything that I had prepared to do to like live my life in this old system was now completely void and that currency was no longer valid and I'm just I'm just mad at you and whoever else I can be mad about <laughs> for, for that <laughs> And that's well, a, that's essentially what's going on. I can tell you who you on. can be mad at. Okay, who can I be mad at? Okay, so what happened with this is based on my sort of my own research, and so I'll go around and I give this talk to mainly people Gen Xers and baby boomers on how, like how to how to counsel, how to work with millennials. And I try the first thing that I tell them is I try to explain. Okay, this is this is what's happened is. There's this combination of the, the first part of it is, is that, yes, in the 1980s, um, the governor Duke Majin out here in California, um, I don't know exactly what happened in the rest of the world, but it was, it, they thought they started to see that there was teen pregnancy was on the rise. Drug addiction was on the rise with young adults. And so this group of people got together and said, okay, you know, what do we do? And someone had the bright idea of, we need to help them with their self-esteem. If they have better self-esteem, they won't go out and get pregnant and they won't do drugs. And so they're like, okay, we're going to start doing self-esteem stuff. So let's uh, get rid of red markers and not mark anything down. Let's uh, give everyone a trophy no matter what place you come in. Let's praise everyone. Let's tell everyone they're wonderful and great. And what happened was, though, was that a guy by the name of, I'm going to butcher his name, it's Roy Bau Baumeister. He's a He's a PhD, he's a psychologist, and he came in and he looked at all the studies that they, this group or this task force had come up with, and he found that, that they were all incorrect. Like the studies were small, they, they didn't work. That, that he, he was like, this isn't how you build someone's self-esteem. Right. And so, but what happened is that movement had already sort of started to roll, and even though that task force came about in 1984, the it did it was all through the 80s and 90s this is what Year happened. I, I knew it i knew it okay. i knew it so but this is the problem now is now there's a bunch of other research that's going on now which is about mindset carol dweck down at stanford about mindset angela duckworth um also at stanford studying grit and what we know now is is that 
you have to teach your kids a sense of grittiness, a sense of resiliency. It's okay. Yes. If you, you can mm-hmm. fall down, you can fail, but you got to get up again and keep pushing forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, you know, failure is okay and you're not always going to be first place. And it's really about, you know, the, you know, what happens internally. I know for my son, they really work on a lot of the mindfulness meditation stuff. And, um, uh, I resisted the mindfulness meditation stuff for a long, long time. And I, I truly believe in it now that, you know, how we think, how we think about things, how we reflect on our thoughts, a lot of that makes a huge difference. And so what happened was that, yeah, you guys were set up for this idea of you're awesome. You're great. You can do anything that you can put your mind to. Here you go. And then, and, and no one kind of told you that this was the other part of it too, is that I feel like my parents definitely told me, you're awesome. You're great. You can do anything you want to do, but it takes hard work. Mm-hmm. It takes hard work. It's a grind. Um, you're not going to be awesome at everything. Pick something you're really good at and, and put your head down. And I think that the parents, I don't think it's about blaming parents, but I think a lot of parents who raised that are raising millennials, um, they came from parents that were divorced. They came from families that weren't, that didn't talk about things. And so they really wanted to help their kids. They wanted to shelter their kids. They wanted to, you know, they wanted them not to have to get a job after school, but participate in all the activities. And people started having less kids. They had more money to spend on them. And that coupled with being told you're supposed to, you know, praise your kid, and that's what builds their self-esteem. I think that's ultimately what happened was that, yeah, you guys weren't you you weren't prepared for what real life is about and what the working world very much was about. Sure. And the, on the flip side of it is is that the working world wasn't quite because of the internet they weren't quite prepared for millennials because the other part of it too is just about how about information. So when I was coming up, you know, information was golden. Like there was no way I wanted, I worked in Hollywood. I wanted to be a talent agent, talent manager. There was no way for me to figure out how to, um, there was no way for me to figure out how to do this on my own. Sure. You know, I, I had to, I had to work with people. I had to be their intern. I had to get them coffee and make copies and do all this. Yeah. And today all you have to do is Google something. Yep. YouTube yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube it. My son came to me and he said, I want to make a, a origami Yoda. And I said, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and he disappeared for like two hours and then came back out with an origami Yoda. And I said, how did you do that? He's like, YouTube. <laughs> Once upon a time, Right. If you wanted to learn how to do that, you'd have to go make friends with someone. You'd have to find some like right. neighbor of yours that knows origami. You'd have to like maybe listen to their stories for a while. And, yep. you know, you'd have to kind of cultivate the relationship and, and build things up. So when millennials came into the workplace, the feeling was that like, oh, I have all the information. Yeah. Like, or, or they know how to know how to get it. Like a lot of my right. jobs is like, People come to me and they'll be like, "Oh, you know, this is this is working." And I'm like, my first question, I'm like, "Have you have you tried Googling it?" Like, I'm like, "There's so many. That's so easy to do." It's and like I said with with our generation, like I can remember when I was growing up playing baseball in the backyard before we had smartphones, and, yeah. and now it's like they're just ubiquitous. It's just everywhere. Well, and it's the Jeff and I were actually talking, uh, my boss, as we were traveling, um, and we got on the topic. I forgot how we got there, but we were talking about how like when we were kids and when he was a kid, you know, especially during like summertime, you leave the house at like 730 and just go wherever. Especially go Jeff. Rome. Jeff would just go, go and Rome. be gone. Yeah, yeah, I know. Go, but I remember as a kid too, and I, uh, you know, you go roam down. I would go like three or four you miles ride away. Ride your bike. Ride your bike your down friends. to yeah. like this little creek under a train bridge, and and we would go fishing, and we wouldn't come back until like 8 o'clock at night. No cell phones, no way. Like we could, who knows what could have happened. Right. And um, and and we, the point that we were talking about was the, the fear of, of like our society these days. Like, you don't let your kid go more than a hundred yards from the house, and if they if they do go somewhere, then your six year old has a cell phone that you can you know get a hold of them on, and they know how to use it, and. And it's just like, it's sad that there's so many, 
like what was so normal for us growing up has now become because of technology, because of information, because of how fast news travels. Like a kid gets kidnapped in, in Dallas right. and within, you know, five minutes of somebody finding everybody's out about phones, it, Amber, alert. everyone yeah. knows about it. There's Amber alerts, there's Facebook posts, there's Twitter posts, the news stations all have it. They're all, whether it's, and it's not even just like the, the news of like, oh, it's the six o'clock news. Like they're, they're live broadcasting it on Facebook live or on Periscope or whatever it is. Yeah, and the, suddenly the, we, new, the news is so slow. Like that's not even a thing. Oh, I know. Like new, normally, usually like if, if there's something that happens, it's out before an, an actual like network gets a hold of it. Right. But it's created this society and this culture of, of fear of of all mm-hmm. of those types of things and it's just it's interesting how different things have become with like it's really useful there's a lot of things that obviously the internet is great for case in point i'm you're in california i'm in dallas mm-hmm. and i'm sitting here on a screen looking at you and talking to you on a podcast mm-hmm. that is a really cool version of of this day and age but then there's there's so many things that are negative about it and and you're right like when it comes to the instagram post the snapchat post and the facebook post and all those types of things there's now this this competitive culture of yeah. it's it's no longer like like when facebook first came out it was you know stupid things like i had a coke for lunch and it's it's a way to keep in touch cool. with people but yeah. now it's something different but now social media is very much based around you know telling your happy thoughts and if you post something that is negative or that is real um, you know, even if it's something like sad about how you feel that day and you're frustrated about, you're instantly you can be shamed. barraged yeah. and shamed for it uh. because it's negative and, you know, you're just crying for attention and all those types of things. And, and I think there are people that do cry for attention like that is, you know, there are people that are like that. But sometimes there's there is a difference between, you know, a, a vain cry for attention and somebody that just needs somebody to talk to. Right. And mm-hmm. And social media is a way that they can not just contact somebody directly who may not want to talk to them about that. And then, like, it should be that they receive help based off of that, not any type of shaming. And it's like, I, I am literally very, very worried about the next generation that comes with the parents being the kids for, of, like, this young millennial generation. Oh. Because who knows what the hell those kids are going to look like. <laughs> well, well, and that's, that's true. But be- before we get to that, because I want to talk about that too, um, Tess, can I? I, uh-huh. can I, I, I there's a couple of things that have worked for me, um, and I want to like run those by you and see like, um, get, get kind of your thoughts on that. Because my my twenties were okay. were kind of a train wreck. Okay, so it's like as as I as I transitioned from this world that I had prepared for. I mean, for. your 30s have kind of been a train wreck too. Thank you, Michael. My my 30s have also been a train wreck, but it's getting better. <laughs> you know. So in my 20s were kind of a train wreck and, and I got into like some serious therapy, found a really good therapist. And earlier in the program, you had said you were talking about uh, my generation and like how er- you, you said everybody gets a trophy and you can't always be yeah. number one. I had, I had a physical response when you said that. I'm like, that's not true, everybody. You can be good at everything. Like it, <laughs> that's so ingrained in me. And, and what I found is that I had been ingrained with this, this really deep set of core beliefs that were absolutely wrong. And much of my therapy has been centered on um, re- rewriting that story, rewriting those core beliefs, um, my core values, um, doing a lot of EMDR. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I found that to be such a useful tool for dealing with trauma. I mean, I've done years of that. But but what's worked for me... Um, is, is to rewrite that story and to, to redefine the, those core beliefs. And it's taken a lot of work. And, and to Mike's point about social media, I, I, like, I deleted Facebook. I, I don't get on Instagram anymore because yeah. my brain is so wired to just be like, look at these people. They're so much more beautiful and successful and happy than you'll ever be. And I immediately go to a dark place. Like, I cannot mm-hmm. use social media. So I was wondering, like, of like, is that a common thing is, or, or what are, what are your thoughts on those, those things? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that in a strange way, I think we're all rewriting our stories as we go. I mean, I think that we grow up and we look at everything from a child's viewpoint and it's very heavily influenced by where we live and what our parents think and say. Right. And Mm -hmm. so 
what happens is, is that we get, you know, our brains don't fully form until they're 25. And so we, as we get older, we have more and more experiences and our core beliefs either get reinforced, right? You have these experiences like the world is bad. And so bad things happen and gets reinforced. Or you, you start to, which it sounds like what you've been doing is you, you start to have these experiences that go against your core beliefs and then you start to challenge them and change them. But we all have, you know, we're, we're all constantly rewriting our story, changing how we, um, how we think and feel about things and that it makes, you know, it makes complete sense that that's what you were taught. That's what you believe. And it's not, it's not about, oh, that's a bad belief or that's a wrong belief. It's more of just being able to sort of sit and notice of like, wow, that was my belief. I had this very visceral reaction to this. And yeah, I guess maybe it is something that I need to work on and change or I'm going to just, I'm going to keep holding to that, that everybody can be good at everything. And, um, and I'm going <laughs> to hold on to that with all my might right. and, and, <laughs> and keep, you know, trying to find ways to reinforce that particular belief. But we, each of us have these, you know, certain like few sets, there's not a ton of core beliefs that, that we have, but we have these very set core beliefs about ourselves and about the world. And it's hard to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. It's hard. So it sounds like for you that, that this is something that like that tapped into something for you, where that's something that you're really, you know, so I would ask you the question of why does that feel so bad? Why is it wrong that people you know, that there are things that you're really great at and there are things that you're not very good at. Oh, I, I mean, do, do you want to get there? Do you want me to like cry, <laughs> cry on the show? Is that what you're trying to do? I, I, would uh -huh. say, I would say that's tied into my core belief that, um, that being loved is uh, a result of having value or being good at something. And so like if I'm not the best at this or if I'm not attractive enough at, or, or whatever, yep. if I'm not good enough, then I'm not worthy and deserving of love. And I know exactly that's what it was because it's yep. taken me years to and and really for me to challenge that story is I've had to have so many experiences to the contrary to where like my therapist is like but but this person loves you and and this person exhibited loved you in this way and so there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that that core belief was it couldn't hold anymore it was so ridiculous and there's still a part of me that like wants it to be true because then the world kind of makes sense i'm like oh you know good attractive talented people are successful and deserve love and if i'm not successful or talented and it just goes in right. a circle and i there's a sort of pervasive uh perverse logic in that that i really like I'm like, oh, that makes sense, but that is not the way the world works. And I'm trying to undo that, and it is so much work. It's really hard. To, to just be like, to, to like look at myself in the mirror and be like, you are worthy and deserving of love exactly the way that you are. I have, like, part of me is like, yes, that's absolutely true, and part of me is like, no, I don't want to believe that. It's like a war. It's very and, difficult. And can I just say, so, and, and what happens is, is that we we, it, it actually suits you to look in the mirror and hate yourself. It's actually easier. Yes, it is. Because if we, if we don't like ourselves, if we don't believe in ourselves, then that means that we can lay on our couch and we can, you know, not ask that person out on a date and we can just, we can just decide to kind of half live and the world sucks. And, you know, I'm just, it only cares about beautiful. It only cares about the Kim Kardashians and the Paris Hilton's of the world. And it doesn't care about me. And so therefore I'm going to drink myself into a stupor or eat all this food or whatever it is. And that's, that's what we do. We kind of, and then, and then of course those behaviors kind of reinforce it over and over again. It takes a hell of a lot more guts and a hell of a lot more, um, strength to be able to say, you know what? I do. Love, I like myself. I'm not a bad person. I'm not brilliant at everything, but I'm still worthy of love and I'm still lovable. And some days I'm better at this than others, but that's me. And I'm going to go out there and ask for that promotion, or I'm going to go out there and ask for that date or whatever it is. Right. Because yeah. if you stand and you like yourself, then you actually have to do the things that you keep claiming that you want to do. Well, and it's, so the, everything that Brian said, I, I can relate to entirely. That's very much how I am. Like my, what he, like the, the, the fact that love is derived from 
something that we've done or a way that we are or, you know, being X, Y, Z, the best looking or the super fit guy or, you know, the really talented vocalist or guitar player or whatever it is. Um, like there's that. And then I go back to, uh, I've, I've actually been thinking about this a lot over the past few days because uh, my birthday was Wednesday and I turned 35 and that was like, it, it, it's been good for the most part, but there was like this brief, like, oh my God, we're coming up on like midlife crisis time. <laughs> I'm going to have a, a mental breakdown about getting older. But one of the things that, uh, and Brian, you recognize this as soon as I say it, but uh, one of the things that was drilled into my head all through my childhood and through my teenage years and even on my mission is one very specific phrase, which is you have so much potential and you're just not reaching it. <laughs> and, and it was it, there. That's always lingered in the back of my head because there, I do feel like there, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I'm doing more now and I feel like I'm getting closer to that. But I think one of the, the negatives to how that was consistently phrased to me, um, you know, is, is now where, where I'm at is not only do I view love as something that is derived from like, I have to do something good. I have to do so, or if somebody does something for me, then I have to do something back for them. Uh, like gift giving for me is one of those things that receiving, I can give gifts all day long. That's awesome. Receiving anything that is one of the most uncomfortable things on the face of the planet for me. Um, so not only do we have that, but then we have the added extra step of at this point, one of the things that I have to work through with, with our, with Mark, we both see the same therapist, uh, is that fact that I do think that there is more potential. I think that there's always more potential, but it's, it was so ingrained in me at, from such a young age and so often that I wasn't hitting that potential that mm-hmm. now suddenly it's not possible to hit that potential. Like it's too late for you? No, like it's just not. It's there's not, it's there's not never. There, it's an imaginary line that keeps growing. Like I'm never going to be able to to actually okay. hit. There is no. There's not going to be a moment in my life where I go, oh, I did this. That I, now I'm fully at now my it's potential. Now it's enough. It's and enough, so yeah. and, and that just drills into my psyche and my brain, and and it's just that constant feeling of like, okay, well, I need to do this, this, and this in order to have somebody, you know, care about me and love me, but. I'm never going to actually be able to get to that point, which actually, now that I think about it, is probably why I date the girls that I do when I actually get interested in them, because I can never actually have them. <laughs> Welcome to the show, where we're having, we're having breakthroughs live on the hashtag adulting another bad idea show. Because you think can never about have, it. Yeah, no, it makes total it sense. May, if I have something, then that's not my potential. If I get the girl that, and she's actually interested in me, then I don't want that, because clearly I'm just waiting for somebody else to tell me, like, you can do better you have more potential. But if I date the girls that are, I constantly have to chase after, it's a metaphor for my fucking life. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Good luck with that, buddy. So. So, what happens, so, so what happens for you if you can sit with the idea that you're, we're all technically should constantly be reaching for something more? You know, that's what keeps us moving. That's what keeps us going. And that you are enough right now. That you Why'd are. Why did you have to use the word enough? <laughs> Why did you have to use the word enough? How does that make you feel, um, Michael? Shut up, Brian. <laughs> Answer the question. No, we're not going into that. Too real. It's so getting too you, real. You hate the word enough. That's it's. it's whole yeah, I, I oh. like the, the listeners want to know how you feel about that. We. How many conversations have we had about that? Oh, so many. It's and it, I and I'm 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 goading you because I know exactly because I'm I having know. the same reaction, <laughs> but I want to like I want to point that away from me and I want I want it on it's you. So deflected on Mike. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. No, the the term the term enough has been one like uh, potential that's been mm. a very recurring. That's theme. a tr- it's a trigger word for you. Oh yeah. Wait, much, enough or potential? So. Or both? Well, well, both of them. Okay. But it, enough is there's especially when it comes to relationships and. Uh, obviously some of it coming from the, the background of having your parents just disappear and disown you as their, their kid. Uh, but it's, it's, side note, I've never been in an episode where I was like, so on the verge of tears, like for like such a long <laughs> period of time, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's, I feel like I'm in therapy. Right. No kidding. So. But it's like when, when you have 
that type of, and I'm actually able to verbally classify it as a, a traumatic experience, which my Mark actually sat me down and um, cause I'm always the one that's like, I, I didn't have a bad childhood. Like there's no trauma or anything. Like I wasn't raped or beaten or molested or anything like that. Like there, there's no trauma. And he told me a story about, um, this, the person that he worked with, uh, that, literally went to like the middle of Africa in like this war zone where the, the tribes are like raping the other women and just like all these horrible things. Uh, because that was, that was her rationale was, well, I mean, there's worse things that happen. And she had been like horribly molested and abused and all those types of things. So like she had that severe trauma and Mark in that session, cause I kept deflecting and I was like, no, there's not anything like that bad. And he finally just stopped and looked at me and was like, your parents and your family haven't talked to you in 12 years. That's trauma. And I was like, I guess <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about that, but like the, the feeling of, of being enough. And it's, it's part of what has, has meant so much about the, the relationship that I have with Brian is uh, we've, because we've been friends for so long and it took a long time to get to this point between the two of us, because we both have our own issues with trust and actually opening up to people. But, um, but that's been one of the only sources of feeling like no matter what I do, even if I do something stupid, he'll call me on it, but he'll still be there. He's not going to go anywhere. I can get mad at him about something like we've gone times without talking for a few weeks because there's just, there's a problem, but then we always come back and resolve it. And that's finally gotten to the, in my head to the point where I'm like, okay, Brian's not going anywhere. I'm enough to be his friend. But like mm -hmm. the, the term being enough for someone is like, that's, that's a concept that I, I struggle with quite a bit because I feel mm -hmm. like to be enough for somebody, I have to like enough for me is not just like, I'm satisfied. It's like, I'm blowing your mind. That's enough. That's what I interpret being enough as. So if I date okay. somebody, I need to be like the best they've ever had, the best in bed, the best listener, the best like, you know, date person, idea person. Everything has to be like so far above and beyond everything that they've ever had before. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not doing enough or I'm not enough for them. Mm -hmm. And they, they could go away. Right. And you yep, could lose them. Yep, that's, that's, that's the key. If you don't bedazzle <laughs> the, them constantly. The, uh, the abandonment. Yes. How did we get here? Uh, <laughs> what is happening? Tess, let's talk about your trauma. Let's, <laughs> let's well, turn the tables. A, but this is the thing, right? Is that we've, we've all had, we've all had our traumas. We've like a childhood in general is trauma. And I think that the part of it is, is that I, I, I get why you didn't want to sort of, see it as trauma because then you're sort of like, well, I don't want to be a victim and it's not right. so bad and it's not this and it's not that. But each and every one of us has had our traumas and, 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 and there's a wide range. Absolutely. There are people that, are, that there's always someone that experiences something worse than you do, but it's, it's important and it's important to acknowledge because it's part of sort of being a human being, being in this world, having these experiences and understanding, you know, relationships with other people. And I wonder for you if, you know, how much time and effort do you spend, how much time do you spend by yourself? And do you feel like, do you feel like you belong to you? Do you feel like if everyone went away tomorrow, I would be okay because I'm enough for me? Do you, Mike? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Stop asking the right questions. This is a great show. <laughs> Shut <I'm>, up. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it's only great because now it's turned to the attention. Of, let's talk about you, Brian. Well, we can talk let's, about my stuff. They're all the same. They're all the same God. issues, just a different flavor. Or let's just change it. Oh, man. <laughs> are, are you being challenged? The other, the, I, I also don't want to get this into like a okay. So now every time we have Tess on, this is just like unpaid therapy for Mike and Brian. <laughs> no, I like that. I'm like I'm like once a month we have Tess on, and it's just like. We focus on one of our issues, and uh, uh, I, I will say, like therapy has been. Uh, maybe you can. Uh, I'll give you a little reprieve here. Therapy has been, especially finding the. I've had. I've been in therapy since I was sixteen. Like I yeah, just. Same here. Life is hard, and I. I've struggled with it, and you know, I had a lot of issues growing up, 
And again, no, same, what kind of same, issues? Same, same as you. Same as you. Not like, not no. like, not like major capital T trauma. Where I was like, I was, uh, I was abducted and molested. You know, but it's like yep. those those little T traumas that was just my my whole life. You know, and so getting into therapy and and talking about that stuff, and I hate it and love it at the same time. When my therapist says something that challenges the way that I think about the world, because at in in one sense it's it's painful and it growth always takes pain mm-hmm. but at the same time it i don't want to be stuck in the way that i i look at things because i think about how far i've come in the past 7 years that i've been working with with mark and and as i've begun to challenge those belief systems and i've got a long way to go but at least i'm making progress at yeah. least mm-hmm. i can talk about some things and be like yeah this happened and and yeah i do feel like i i needed this to happen before I felt like I had value in myself and 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 to your point Tess looking in the mirror and telling myself like I am good enough I believe that but it also has to have some weight to it like there has to be some feedback from other people not that everything that they say matters and that there shouldn't be any weight on, on myself but if I say a truth like all right I'm good enough and I'm worthy and deserving of love, there has to be some evidence in the outside world that that's true. Otherwise, I can't get myself to believe it. I'll just yep. be like, no, that's not true. There's, there's nothing yeah. to back that up. So, but when, but when I do find the truth and there is evidence, then I can start to re- rewrite the story a little bit. And that is a full-time job and it takes a lot of mindfulness and it takes, you have, to, you have to be willing to let go of some of the lies. And those lies are really comfortable because they allow the world to make sense. When and, they're familiar. And, yeah, they're familiar. Yeah. And, and I love the world to make sense. Even if it's to my own condemnation, I'm like, well, you know what? This sucks, but at least it makes sense. And, and there's something comforting about that, e- even if it's a lie. So to, to overcome a comforting lie that makes sense of the world and makes me feel secure into an insecure place of truth that mm-hmm. is such like that takes so much uh just crazy courage like that i only have once in a while where i'm like okay i'm gonna make this jump and i'm going to try on this other thing and see if it feels true i'm gonna try this out for a couple of weeks and you know I, i'm gonna ask that girl out i'm gonna start changing my life i'm gonna change the way that i eat and and it you do have to do those things before you see that the evidence but to put in those two or three weeks or maybe those two or three months of effort before you see results, it's really hard. It took me a long yeah. time to, to, to even begin to do that. So, Well, there's a big part of all of this that requires, you know, it, it requires a lot of trust. You know, I've been reading this book uh, called, I just finished it and I'm reading this other book called The Surrender Experiment by Michael mm-hmm. Singer. Okay. And he, he wrote The Untethered Soul, which... Um, I've heard of that one. I've heard heard of both well-known one. And I just started The Untethered Soul. But what a lot of what he talks about is, you know, it's really about his journey in his life and all the things that have happened to him and just really learning to listen to the voice in his head and actually stop listening to the voice in his head and surrender to the things that are coming towards you, happening for you, right? So if you said, Brian, that I'm looking in the mirror or I, I need to have some outside someone telling me that I'm also good, I get that completely. We all need it. I'm not saying that we, we just have to rely on ourselves. We all need some outside validation for sure. But, you know, what happens if you – what happens if you – look at look in the mirror have those thoughts about yourself and then really sort of sit with the idea of maybe this is all the validation i'm going to get and i got to surrender that maybe i'm not going to get the other validation that i would was hoping for and that i'm going to go on this journey of asking this girl out or doing all these things and sort of sitting with the discomfort of it and also just trusting and trusting that yeah, the universe has my back and <laughs> that that if she says no or if this doesn't work out, that there was something off about this, that, that we spend an enormous amount of time, and I do this myself as well, we spend an enormous amount of time like getting in our own way. We, we want to control things. Yep. We want so much control over life. And the thing is, is that we don't have, we don't have anywhere near the amount of control that we think we do. <laughs> 
We just don't. Don't tell people and, that. I mean, it's true, but you're, it's scary <laughs> as hell. Yeah, but you're I right. know, I know. But you know, you have control over you. Yeah. That's the thing that you have control and, and over. And how you react. And how you react and what goes on in your mind. Even prisoners have complete control over their thoughts. Yeah. Yep. And so what goes on in your brain is really the thing that you can control. And so if you have to treat that area like it's very precious and very special and you have to use it not for this like bashing of yourself yep. but as a like a, a good place <laughs> like a safe space no and and if i if i can respond to that it's um yeah. so growing up i think i gave a lot of power to the way i placed an enormous emphasis on i gave all of my power away to other people and what they thought of me i just took as doctrine and i remember when we started challenging that in therapy and my therapist was like, what if they're wrong? And the first time that was introduced to me, it like broke me. I'm like, I, I didn't know how to deal with that. That like, oh, maybe the other person's view of me was incorrect and that my view was correct. I was like, what, are, are, you, are you serious? And then the other thing, Mike, you kind of touched on this is, is the fear of getting older, which I would agree with, but the flip side of that is the things that seemed to be so traumatic for me when I was growing up, like, you know, this girl didn't like me or this didn't happen in high school or whatever. The older I get and the further away I get from those experiences, and I used to really hate myself. Like, I'll use that word. I hated myself, the younger version of myself who wasn't good enough or, or you know, wasn't popular or whatever. And now I have more compassion for him because I can see mm -hmm. his story in the context of my larger journey that's going on and and that's the one thing I'm grateful for in time and getting older is that I'm like you know what this happened and that that little boy or that young man was so courageous to put up with all that garbage that he went through and he survived it mm -hmm. and oh. and I can tell myself a story that's not the one that I, I used to believe, but the story that's the true story and how courageous and brave he is to continue to go on. And, uh -huh. and so that, and that's part of my journey. And that story is way more interesting and epic than the, than the other story. And so I can sort of let go of the one that's full of shame and I can be like the hero in my story now because it's, I see things in context, but it takes, that is living from day to day and it takes time and it's like, decades of perspective to look back and be like this happened but it's not it's not the trauma that it was and i and and then to learn that like i overcame that and i'm still okay and but that's i mean that's the hard work of living so mm -hmm. it's hard yeah i mean i i always tell my clients especially the ones that have gone through a lot of traumas that you know when we're kids we do what we have to do to survive yep we have no control over who we're born with, we, to, born to. We don't have the control over how our lives are going to live. Like when we're kids, we have to do a lot of things to survive. And so whatever you had to do as a kid to survive, which was taking on other people's stories, believing what they had to say, that's how you survived. That's how you were able to do it. And as adults, the, the, the great part about it and why I love working with millennials, because this is sort of the time of your, you know, young adults, this is the time of your life when you can finally look back on your life and go, wait a minute. Yep. I did these, you know, I used to have these beliefs or these behaviors because I needed to survive as a kid. But now that I'm an adult, I have to, I have to create new ones. And for you, it sounds like Brian, it's like, that's your story you know, my story, I'm rewriting my story. It could, you know, it's the way you interact. It's the way you behave. It's the way you think, you know, these are all your ways of being able to, you know, break the habits of a kid who had to survive and now just be this adult that gets to decide yeah. how you, you're going to survive, choose, how you're going to be. Yeah, right. You get to choose what you, what you become. Yeah. Whereas as a kid, yeah. there's, there's so many different like influences and you're just a kid. You like we. You have to listen to what your parents say, and they're gonna guide you. And and now all of a sudden, it's like, oh no, I'm I'm the only one that can guide myself. Well, and it's it's true. At some yeah. point in time, you have to take responsibility for that. You can't look back and be like, well, I'm this way because of all these things that happened to me X, Y, and Z. That's fine. And and this is I I don't know how you approach this with your clients, Tess, because this is a delicate subject to be like. At some point in time you have to begin to take responsibility for your choices regardless of what's happened to you in the past. You, you can't control mm -hmm. that. Yep. Absolutely. Like I did what I had to do to survive and, and we all do what we have to do, but that doesn't mean that I can't make different choices today. 
And to say that in a right way and, and without making somebody feel totally helpless and powerless and uh, I, there's this term called learned helplessness that, that um, where you're just like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm in pain um, that, I've, that I've struggled with for a long time. You have to really be ready to move and, and decide to just change one different thing about your life. It takes a lot of work. It does. And that's why, I, you know, I mean, I'm biased to all of this, but I do believe that people who are willing to put in the time and effort, and I don't think it necessarily has to be you have to go to weekly therapy for the rest of your life. I think people get very scared of this idea. Don't, of don't, like, don't take that gonna, away from me, though. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, so. no, but I mean, some people have this idea of like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life lying on a couch, talking about my mother, doing all this kind of stuff. But it's really what it is. It's the exploration and the willingness to decide, oh, I, I am going to do it differently, or I'm going to be different, or I am going to think about things in a different, a new way. Mm -hmm. And it's the desire to want to grow and change. And, you know, when we talked about potential earlier, right, it's to constantly be reaching, being better, doing better, thinking better, all of that kind of stuff that we're all trying to do. We're all just trying to evolve. <laughs> to being as, as best as this next, right. you know, this next better level of a person. And I know for myself, because I do this work and I've worked on myself and I continue to work on myself that, you know, each, each thing that I do, if I keep my eyes open and if I'm open to the experience and I allow it to happen and I don't get too in my way, it's pretty amazing what I'll see in the ways in which it influences me and the ways in which it betters me as a therapist, as a coach, as a parent, all of these things. So you should feel good. Both of you should feel good about the fact that both of you are like, okay, we're not going to just lay on this couch and feel sorry for ourselves. We're going <laughs> to well, do it That depends on the day. Right, depends on the, you know, <laughs> depends on the day. I really like what you said though about not getting in your way because I, I recognize that I spend – like 95% of my energy worrying about something that may or may not happen. And then even if the worst happens, it's like not nearly as bad as, as I thought it was going to be. And I, I brought this up in therapy the other day. I'm like, you know, I've, I've come in here week after week and there's always some crisis or another. And it, it started to occur to me and I'm like, and I'm still here. I've mm -hmm. survived every single one of those and I'm still okay. And then every time I survive another crisis or you know something that causes me anxiety like i get a little bit more confidence that you know the world is not going to end there's this great song lyric um that says uh when, when all is lost after all is lost we find our world remains and it's it's true like after all those things that we go through and, and we're still here and and that's but but we spend so much time, I spend so much time worrying about like what's going to change, what happens if I lose this or this doesn't work out or or if I'm not good enough. And really, if if I just take it as it comes, it's just I spend so much less energy and things work out way better than I think that they're going to. <laughs> I don't know why I can't learn that lesson. It's really hard. But I, Well, that's the surrendering. That's you're, what you're doing right there is you're surrendering. Because what happens is, is that it's our anxiety that makes us worry and wonder, right? And we, we feel like, oh, if I, if, I, if I think really bad things, then I'll be prepared for them. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's <laughs> on this show, Tess said that. If you think you got you to plan out every scenario, <laughs> go over it to the nth degree and you will never be caught off guard. I'm just going to yeah. edit it out so it sounds like you said that. So. Well, but the, pro the problem is, is then the negative things become your truth. Yeah, that's Because true. our brain doesn't know the difference between... Our brain doesn't completely know the difference between things that we're thinking and things that are actually happening. Yeah. So you know that's why athletes use visualization so much. And an exercise I'll do with clients is, you know, if you need like before a meeting, especially your coaching clients, like before a meeting, before a talk, you just visualize yourself going in there and nailing the talk and seeing yourself being successful, pulling an, a memory from your past where you were really, really successful and you really killed it and you felt confident going in there and doing that because your brain doesn't know the difference. So what happens is, is that you're bebopping along and you're thinking, okay, I'm covering all my bases because I'm thinking of all the worst case scenarios, but your brain doesn't really know. And you're kind of putting yourself a little bit through a lot of trauma there by thinking through all those things. The flip side of it is people then say, okay, well, I'm going to just really think negative thoughts. Like everything's going to work out exactly how I want it to. And that, and then it never does. And people get disappointed and those are expectations. 
Mm-hmm. And so somewhere there's the middle ground, which is not re-traumatizing your brain constantly, not throwing yourself into a tizzy and making yourself anxious, and also not trying to create an outcome that may or may not happen that you have no control over. You have to sit in this middle ground of surrendering and going, okay, I'm just going to go into work and see what happens. Yeah, whatever whatever happens will happen. Exactly. And, and that's hard. Yeah. It's and, very hard. And, and for me, I, I know that in the past, like I'll have problems and it's particularly like at work, I'll be like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I need to remember that while I see the problem, like I don't necessarily see possible solutions, like that the universe is kind of like working in my favor in ways that I don't know yet. So I've gone into work before. I'm like, I have no idea how this is going to work out. And then some solution will just come out of left field that there is no way that I could have expected that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have to remember that while, yeah, there could be bad things that happen, there are also good things that happen too. And that's, it's much harder to like live in, in, in faith in that way than there is to just be like, okay, I want to expect bad things are going to happen and then, then I won't be hurt when they do happen. But that's and just not how it works. Because we can't control everything. We can't control hardly <laughs> anything. <laughs> so, uh. Except what you think. Yeah. Yep. Except what's in your mind. And how you react. And how you react. Yep. Yeah. And how you decide to react it's to it. Still not and something think about I'm it. good at. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's all, it's, it's, none of this stuff, I mean, none of this stuff is, it's, fascinating to think about it in theory the the day-to-day part of it is it's challenging it's really really challenging and I don't you, you know I think that I tell my clients that you know if you can be mindful for one moment of each day you're you're making progress because we do really live either in the past or the future mm-hmm. and it is very very hard to be present in the present moment but if you can find times in your day every day to do it periodically it's pretty magical when you like walk along and feel the breeze on your face and kind of go, Oh, I'm happy. You know, this is, I'm happy right now, or life is good or things are moving along. Um, we tend to, and I don't know if it's a generational thing or what it is, but I, you know, cause I feel it too, which is this, you know, we tend to, especially in the world that we live in, we get very caught up in, um, you know, labeling our emotions and running from any emotion that isn't positive, that isn't, doesn't make us happy or thrilled or excited and trying desperately not to experience anything that's negative. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think that there's great value in experiencing what we would call negative emotions in like sadness or, or loneliness or boredom. And, and I, have spent my life running from those things and, and really just in the past couple of years, I've tried to sit with them and be like, okay, this is an experience and there's value in experiencing this emotion. And I sit with it for as long as I can. And that's when I really start to see growth because there is as much value in feeling sadness as there is in feeling happiness. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of information. Yeah. Information. That's yeah. That's, that's the perfect word for it. So yeah. And there's, yeah. So, and so, but if you are constantly running from feeling anger or sadness or whatever it is, then you don't, you don't really know how you feel about things. Right. And, and if you don't really know how you feel about things and how things are affecting you or how you feel about it, you can't make any choices or decisions. Not, not realistic ones, not ones that serve you, not ones that push, that help you. You're just simply making choices and decisions to please the people around you or to make you accepted and loved and all this other kind of stuff. And in the end, you know, we only, we, we belong to ourselves, you know, and we have to belong to ourselves and true belonging is about, you know, belonging to ourselves and not changing ourselves for other people but accepting ourselves as we are and allowing people to choose us or not. But what if they don't choose? No, let's not go into that. <laughs> let's Mike cry. I, 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 I feel like Mike and I are like both like therapied out right now. I'm just like, yeah, oh, I got no, to think about it. Like, no, it's not you. That's, this, was, in your day there. This, was, this was not the direction I expected this to go, but I, I'm okay with it. We had like, there's tons more that, that we could talk about. Um, and I, 
I definitely want to, we'll have to talk after this uh, at yeah. some point. Uh, I know you've got stuff to do here in the next little bit, but at some point we'll have to, to jump on a call or, or chat about some future stuff. Cause I, I would love to have you back on. I would love to kind of make this a recurring thing and, and, uh, and structure certain things a little differently so that it doesn't deflect <laughs> onto me and make me feel things because I don't want that. You don't want to grow? Okay. So. You know what? <laughs> We're going to talk after this. There are things, oh, no. there are, there are things that I, I'm not going to just throw into the podcast, but um, there's, there's two very different Brian's, but... Um, <laughs> oh, no, there's a lot more yeah, than no, that. There, I'm sure that there are, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that would be, I would love that if, if the audience isn't completely depressed and <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, if God. they listen to our show, then they're used again. to this shit. <laughs> well, and we find that a lot of people can, can relate to the things that we're going and the more real we are, like the better yeah. people see, the more people seem to get out of it. The so. more, the more yeah. that they like it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that you and I talked about when we, uh, when I asked you why, uh, you had kind of started following us in the first place um but it, it really is that the, the more the more real we are and the more authentic we are with what we're talking about the, the more people seem to to gravitate and and listen and respond which is good so I, I like hold on that. a second so in that so do you know what that is the two of you are authentically who you are and you're being loved and accepted for it and on that note, we're going to end the episode. Go away. I don't, I don't know if that's Get out of here. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. But do you understand? Like, you just named it. You didn't, you weren't, you weren't trying to bedazzle us all. You weren't doing anything fancy for any of us. You weren't taking us all out on these fabulous dates that you showed up as yourself. You were vulnerable. You were real. You were who you are. And people showed up and said, I like that person. I like both these people. <sighs> I mean, you're not wrong, but like, I don't like it. I don't like okay. it. <laughs> I wish that we had like a live video feed of the two of yeah, us. Yeah, like right we, now we both look we so uncomfortable. We're just like, okay. we're just like, we're like, like nope, yeah, oh, nope. No, okay. I, I know what you're, and it's it's hard because it's one of those situations where it's like, you're not wrong. I, yeah, I like I. My response to that is like, I I see you, I I hear you, I know what you're saying is is 120 percent flat out truth. And it's accurate, but again, it goes back to those core beliefs. And so, like the the rest of my body is like, let's seize up and nope, nope, we're not, no, uh, nope, not gonna let that in. Nope. It's not, it's not real. It's a dream. <laughs> Get away from it. Run. So I think what we're saying is clearly we have more work to do. To yeah, we have tons. Of, I'm gonna yes. be in therapy yeah. until I die. <laughs> Which is fine. I love therapy. I'm a big advocate for it. <laughs> yeah. I have I have no issues yeah. going and seeing a therapist. Well, so yes, this was very therapy y and I'm more than happy to um, you know, talk I, I you know, people want coaching advice or anything like that. There's there's so <laughs> many basic action, you know. Cause we talked about a lot of theories today and the thing is is that it's like so how do people change and like if right. someone's oh, yeah, I, I feel like this, I feel like what do you do differently? There this needs to be like an ongoing series because people are like I bet I can think of a couple of people that are going to be like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, just hang well, on. We'll get why, you. That's why I say, if, like, I want to, I want to continue to do this. And this, this one kind of got off the rails. A I, I thought bit, this but, one went great, but oh, it's, it's a great episode for sure. But again, a is like, it, I, this is not like a, a free therapy session for you and I, uh, the, the point is to, you know, help other people with things. And so I think there, there is some structure that we can, we can do to, to move this forward in the future. Um, so, but I mean, I'm, this has definitely been a very enlightening conversation <laughs> as of today, but, but I do want, you know, when we have you back again, which we will, we'll, okay. we'll talk about, um, you know, how we can draft that out, but I do want to have some other stuff. And, and for anybody that, that does listen to this, uh, feel free to email us or hit us up on social media. You know where to find us. Uh, and I'll post the, the links and everything in, in the, uh, the show notes as well. So if you don't know, then you can find us. Um, but if you have something that you heard from this episode, uh, in this conversation that you want to talk about, or you have a question about, or you have something that's gone on in your life or just anything that you want to talk about that, you know, somebody who's not me and Brian, uh, could answer questions about, again, this is not like, you know, free therapy sessions for everybody that sends us a message, but 
but I do like the idea of having someone who is a third party who is uh, educated and informed in things that we aren't, and especially in you know a, a psychotherapy or a coach type of a, a standpoint. I think that's a, uh, very beneficial for for us, and then also for anybody that listens. So if you have questions, feel free to shoot them to us and, uh, and we'll, we'll make sure that we get those to, to test. And when we have her back on again, then we can talk about those things and we'll structure it better. So it doesn't turn into a therapy session because perfect to be perfectly honest right now, I don't want to go into my stuff anymore right now uh, on this. So <laughs> it got too real, man. It got too real. <laughs> I can tell. So, uh, thanks Tess. We, we appreciate oh, it. Thank you. And- um, and yeah, about in about a month, can we have you back? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, I'll get in touch with you and okay uh, within like the next week or so, and we'll find a time that we can talk and okay and uh, figure out how we can keep this rolling and, and structure it a little bit better. I thought send us a bill. I thought it was structured fine. But yes, thank you. <laughs> send us an invoice. We'll we'll pay yeah. for the the therapy session. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I'm glad that, that we had a chance to talk to you and, and I look forward to, to doing stuff with you in the future. Um, Absolutely. Thank so, you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for spending time. We're, we'll let you get Absolutely. back to your day. Okay. Uh, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. Therapize. Okay. Yeah. Go. Go make them, make them feel things. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Tess. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tess. Bye. Bye. See ya. Wow. Dude, what the fuck? Man, I okay. I understand we're still going right now, but and we haven't really finished things. But seriously, I felt like the episode went where it needed to go. It was yeah. I mean, it was just, sure. It was great. That's good. Let's wrap it up. Let's, yeah, let's let's wrap it up. Oh, that went places I did not expect it to go. Anyways, I'm gonna go deal with my emotions for the next few hours. <laughs> oh. Um, that was a good episode that was a really good episode Uh, we'll have to figure out some more stuff we can do with her but Tess Brigham thank you so much for coming on Uh, I'm Mike and I'm Brian and if there's anybody out there you guys want to talk seriously reach out to us we're here for you okay yeah whether it's us or if you want us to pass something along to to talk about on on the show with Tess just please don't hesitate don't be afraid to we love you guys we'll see you next week Yeah.